Hello. And welcome <laughs> to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of any given character and their father. <laughs> because you can be sure if now, there's a character, we're going to meet their father. Let's be inclusive here. Father figures also. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they don't have to be your real father. They can be your adopted father or your sensei. Any and all. Of course, you're listening to Got the Runs. Of course, we are continuing our series on Ed Brubaker. And of course, we have come to the immortal Iron Fist. And yeah, he's the Immortal Iron Fist. What do he you... sure is. He's <laughs> never been killed. Sure, famous. Used to work at a record store. Although, yeah, so lots of lots of good death play in this, both at the start <laughs> oh. and the beginning. <laughs> I like that the first story is called the last Iron Fist story. The ending is like a perfect cliffhanger. Great stuff all around. We love to see it. All right. And this has been. (laughs) Uh, But truly, like, I don't I don't feel like I have a ton to say about this other than like, yeah, it's good. It's great. Uh, You see Ed Brubaker stepping into something of a sensei role, of course, here. (laughs) (laughs) So that was what I was kind of wondering going through this, because like, especially like the narration boxes, which are like pretty pervasive. Mm-hmm. throughout and like kind of like ostensibly they're usually Danny Rand <laughs> narrating but mm-hmm. also seem like so much more there's a lot of second person narration for like the flashbacks right and also like there are moments when it's ostensibly Danny Rand narrating where it's like hmm you became much wiser <laughs> than, <laughs> than you usually behave and it's interesting because I kind of like in my mind, he was almost like a daredevil where like, you know, it's like he's like sort of freewheeling, fun loving. Yeah. And the, the characters kind of treat him that way, but he doesn't usually really like act or behave that way. Well, yeah, the the kind of convenient thing about this is that when they are coming on to him, he has not had his own series Boy, how long has it been here, do we think? He has not had a series since probably like the early 90s Heroes for Hire. And even that, like you wouldn't say that he was headlining per se. Right. And so he's kind of like a blank slate in, in a lot of respects. I do wonder how like how much of the freewheeling sort of attitude is... I, I guess like maybe inferred by them from the fact that like he's on the heroes for hire, but he's like the one rich guy who it's like, why are you here exactly? <laughs> you billionaire. Right. Why do you need to be a hero for hire? And, and not just like a, a regular superhero who doesn't get paid. <laughs> and so <laughs> sure. he, he, I think has always felt like a little frivolous because of that. And, you know, like the disco costume is of course, 
kind of ridiculous um, and and very much like of its era in the same way that Luke Cage is his regular partner also was very much of that like disco era. Mm-hmm. Sure. But then like, they're like, Oh, like the, the, the big thing that comes to mind is they're like, Oh, Danny has a plan. That's like the scariest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Like this guy is like so crazy. And, like, I guess he does do some sort of like crazy risk taking kind of stuff. But like, mm-hmm. I never get the sense that it's like, this guy is completely nuts. Yeah. It is a like a, a bit of a like characterization trend for Matt Fraction for sure to kind of like make his protagonists not like the objects of ridicule per se, but it's like lower status. Yeah, lower status or like it's it's almost like the anti like Rucka thing where a lot of his characters are like they're very competent, they're very effective, their life is like a mess but for like, you know, fairly like serious reasons where it's like they like, you know, drink to forget, et cetera, et cetera. Right. A lot of Matt Fraction's characters are like, they're really good at this like one thing. And it's like the only thing in their life that sort of like makes sense. And the rest of their life is sort of like pathetic in a funny way. <laughs> sure. And so like Hawkeye is the big one where that really is sort of like, you know, I, a lot of people who were very into Hawkeye before that series are critical of that series because they're like, that's not really like reflective of who Hawkeye was. And I don't think it's as like pronounced here per se, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a similar way, like I've read a little bit of older Iron Fist stuff, but like with any any th- comics that are from like, you know, the mid to late 70s, it's hard to read it and be like, ah, yes, like a very serious comic. <laughs> or <laughs> even just like, like an established character in some senses. Yeah, because the, they're, they're just, you are inevitably going to run into something that because of like the difference in sensibilities, like feels ridiculous or campy or over the top or what have you. Right. It's crazy that there was an Iron Fist TV show. I'm just going to um, throw that out there. <laughs> Yes, I have to agree. Um, as I alluded to last episode, I 100% believe that that show exists because this comic is so good. <laughs> That's like the only reason. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, also, I think because like, I think maybe Daredevil made sense to start with. And then because like pretty much Daredevil was the first one, right? And then they all Daredevil kind was of the first one. Daredevil. Yeah. And, and Daredevil was one where it was like, he he's sort of like the first of what we're now sort of like in the waiting period of for like X-Men and Fantastic Four, where it was like they got him back. Like Daredevil is like back in the hands of Marvel. What are they right. going to do with him? And so it was like, you know, if they didn't give him his own TV show, he would have ended up in a movie like sooner rather than later. People were like, Marvel's finally got Daredevil back. Like I, we can't wait to see what they're going to do with him. Sure. Did not know that Jessica Henwick was in that show. Yeah, she's Colleen Wing. <laughs> sure. Appropriately raced. <laughs> sure. She is. <laughs> she's, <Okay>. she's, <laughs> I, she's just like several times referred to as a white girl in this run, and I'm like, but she's half Asian. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, well, you haven't seen Matrix Resurrection, so you don't really know anything about it. Yeah, uh, I can't comment. She's great in the first scene of uh, Rogue One, or not Rogue One. Whichever Star uh, Wars movie she's yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> whichever Star Wars movie she's in. Indeed. Um, 
so the immortal Iron Fist. I can't help but notice that he's white. <laughs> yeah, so this is a topic of heavy conversation, of course. Are we going to talk about Bill Wu? <laughs> no, I love, I'll shout out to Bill Wu, the king um, of Asian representation. My slightly controversial hot take I don't really care that he's white slash think that he is like one of the few characters where making him not white actually makes a difference. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like certainly the way the character is like create like, yeah, of course, like his identity is very sort of crucial to him in that way. It's just kind of crazy that this is like (laughs) your forefronted, like I the, the the word that keep, kept coming to mind was like oriental <laughs> because yeah. I feel oh, like this is a very a like, lot oriental of, like, comic. Totally. And I think that they play with that quite a bit too with the Orson Randall stuff because he is so much like a pulp hero pastiche right. and all of like the pulp books have so much like orientalism in them. And that might be part of like, because that's another thing where it's like, you know, intellectually, like I understand why Orientalism is bad. And I'm like, those like tropes do tickle me. Like I do enjoy those tropes. Sure. And I wonder how much of it is that it's like, well, even though it's not like a fair or good or accurate representation of these cultures that it's borrowing from, it is like a different kind of fantasy that's not like just like swords and sorcery or swords sure. and sandals, you know, not like rooted in Western imagery or or um, like tropes as much. And so just for that reason alone, it always like kind of feels a bit fresher. But I like I really enjoy all of the every time we see Orson Randall in like the 30s, I'm like, aha, <laughs> this is like a good time and I enjoy it. <laughs> That stuff, I'm like, whatever. I'm very into the the warriors. The Confederates of the Curious? <laughs> no. Oh, 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 the, like the, the other immortal weapons. The real warriors. Right. Yes, the, they're very good. Even, like, I like the, like, kung fu move names that they, like, yes, come up with and put in the caption boxes. That's also always a very good time. That's really good. Like the last issue where it's just all like them all fighting together and then you get like all the different moves is just really, really strong. But Iron Fist's whiteness. So I do think that they in some ways go a long way to address that by being like he's actually one of 66 Iron Fists and two of them have been white. And we're going to like give some meaningful. All, well, yeah, but but the two white like, ones are like the ones we care about the most. Yeah, but at least we get to see like some some Asian iron fists as well. Um, but also, yeah, there's just part of me that's like, yes, he is like a white savior or at least sort of like a dances with wolves type. Sure. Like the white guy comes and becomes the best at the thing that is like the, you know, the culture of the Asian people, which is like, sure, yes, fair. It just like there is and always will be some part of me that niggles when people are like, well, he's a Kung Fu hero, so he should really be Asian. And then I'm just like, is it better if it's like Asians are only allowed to be Kung Fu heroes? Like, I'm okay with Iron Fist being white. I would rather see him like team up with another Asian hero whose thing is like a totally different thing. (laughs) Sure. Like a doctor or engineer hero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it gets back to some of the conversations we had 
last episode where it's like, what is the right way to sort of go about representing this? And I mean, again, it's like, well, this is Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction writing it. <laughs> like, it is two white writers as well, which mm-hmm. does sort of, you know, you you look a little askance at it. Man, two seasons of that TV show. That's crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's the number one biggest crime committed by Immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> not, not Immortal Iron Fist, just Iron Fist, the Netflix TV show. Watch oh, it now sure. on Disney Plus, which is that we get, I want to say, 10-ish episodes of Finn Jones or whatever that guy's name is, who like doesn't really know Kung Fu at all, sort of like avoiding fights or being in a lot of like quick cut close up fight scenes that aren't very good. And then in like episode 10 or like the second last episode, he like opens a drawer, finds a USB stick and is like, huh, what's this? Plugs it in. And this is what is on it. I want you to watch this 18 second clip. Okay, I've been sent a YouTube video, Netflix, Iron Fist, old footage, 1948 grainy footage of iron fist he is actually fighting and going fight mode so you're saying that you are uh, angry that th- i'm the i'm whole mad series. That, that so this is what they like the whole first season is like how is danny rand gonna get back his business and then at the end they're like right. by the way we have this like very good 18 second fight scene that is obviously orson randall but we're not gonna say his name and then like that's it season over and then season two which i haven't watched because season one is so bad but i read like in the last episode at some point danny like makes some reference to orson randall and then like uses the like chi enhanced guns and then it's like and it never came back so it's like guys i know like i know you feel the need to like set the table and do like the origin story and all of that stuff why would you spend two seasons doing not the tournament arc? What is the point of that? Like that is the whole reason anyone who's ever heard of Iron Fist is clicking on the Iron Fist TV show because they're like, I want to see him fight fat Cobra. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) the only reason or, or I want like a lot of Orson Randall. And then they're like, Oh, you want a lot of Orson Randall? How about 18 seconds in one episode and we'll mention his name 10 episodes later? Right. Well, you have to be fair because I'm sure there are some people that want to watch this show because they want to hear about how Rand Corporation is the target of a hostile takeover from Chinese business interests. No! (laughs) I mean, that is the uh, initiating plot line here. It is. And also, like... It is just crazy that it's like we're 10 pages in and it's like it's our our white hero being like, China? No thanks. <laughs> I, a billionaire, have never done business with them and I never will. <laughs> yeah. And I only do business actually with good guys like Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, like I said, I don't <laughs> know how much I really have to say about this comic. Um we get the last Iron Fist story, which is basically the the primary plot is like Danny Rand, who is Iron Fist. Um, and we'll what? maybe talk about like <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> and we'll maybe talk about like what where he was at before this, because it really just does like dump you in and not really give you anything. Like it does, mm-hmm. you know, have a certain expectation that you know what's going on. But so 
Danny Rand, he like senses the existence of this other person who is using Iron Fist powers. It turns out to be Orson Randall, who was the last Iron Fist. And he... So to speak. Sure. <laughs> uh, the previous Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Who was like an adventurer throughout so, time. Yeah, his his thing is he became the Iron Fist in like shortly before World War One. Mm-hmm. left Kunlun um, to like go fight in World War One, and basically just has like PTSD from being in World War One, and was like I'm not going to be a soldier I'm not going to be a weapon it was like tournament time and they were like come back home for the tournament and he was like I'm not going to do that so then they were the other uh, heavenly cities which we'll get into shortly were basically like he has like failed in his duties he's not doing what he's supposed to do as one of the immortal weapons so we're going to like dispatch someone to kill him they sent a bride of nine spiders after him who he in a like i think he was like high at the time question mark like didn't really understand what was going on accidentally killed her so then they're like we will hunt you for the rest of your days he proceeds to like go on the run, try to like just He's live like his a, life. a nomadic adventure. Yeah. And, and over time, like uh, surrounds himself with these Confederates of the curious and they frequently get into all these misadventures because of either like the, the doings of the heavenly cities, like trying to bring him down or just like doing what they need to do to get money or otherwise like getting dragged into these very um, like tropey pulpy conflicts. Right. And then basically I <laughs> I struggled to like summarize what so, happened to me. Well, it is I will say this, like it all sort of like comes together eventually, but there's so much sort of like throne room maneuvering in this book that is not like you you see like the the plotting and the conspiring, but you don't necessarily always see like it's it's happening before you've really got all the information about like why people are doing what they're doing or what the implications right. of it is and then you kind of have to like piece it together later on which i think like they do a, a pretty good job of like periodically sort of like reminding you what you've seen and like recontextualizing it as they let more information out but because of like it's it's also just like a consequence of the pacing of a monthly title so some of the stuff inevitably feels kind of like half baked or just like under developed, not because I don't think they've thought it through, but because there's just like not really enough page space to sort of explicate it all. Right. And I think so, that like Orson Randall's history is sort of the big, um, you know, the, the thing that takes the hardest beating in on that front, if you will. Right. Absolutely. Um, so he is just there to give the book to Danny Rand is that because he's, he knows the tournament is coming uh, yeah so he's like you're talking about like his his sort of narrative function he, like yeah like why is he like yeah i think i think he's supposed to be an on ramp to the idea that there have been iron fists before Danny Rand um which is a like big retcon uh and a very smart retcon i would say Oh, okay. He also, I think, then serves as like an explanation as to like why no one's ever mentioned that there were other Iron Fists before. It's because like he had the history book and and so no one could really tell 
Danny too much about it. Although it's always kind of like been implied. Like I don't, I don't think the origin story about his dad, like training in Kunlun um, and potentially challenging uh, Shu Lao, the undying himself is 100% like new retconned information. But, but it, it like, yeah, we've never heard like the name of another Iron Fist or had it explained like, this is why there's not currently like a, a serving Iron Fist who was there before Danny, or right. this is what happened to him, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all that stuff. And then I think to give him the book is also uh, like, just like powers Danny up, which I do think is sort of like one of the goals of this first arc, which they originally planned to be a mini series was like, we're going to give him a power upgrade so that he can be a bit more of like a player. And we're, we're just going to like right. bump him sort of up to the next power tier so that right. he, he can be a bit more of like an a list kind of type of character. Right. So basically like his power up to this point is just like, he's really good at Kung Fu mm-hmm. and he has like really strong hands yeah, like the notion of using the Iron Fist to heal is not 100% new either. I think I recall reading somewhere that like he cured someone's cancer with it once. Great. Um, and, and sort of like the chi manipulation stuff generally, but the primary function of it was, yeah, like basically... Your fists are like iron. He Yeah, his, his fist is like indestructible. And when he punches someone with the Iron Fist, it is like you know it, it it's sort of like it's it's kind of ambiguous but i think the implication has always been like he basically gets like low grade superhuman like strength and speed when he's got his like iron fist activated effectively right. Right. even though i'm sure like if you looked at whatever the like the power grids are or whatever they would say like oh he's peak human but it's like yeah but if he and like shang chi run at each other and punch each other's fists while he's got the iron fist activated like Shang-Chi's hand is going to be the one that breaks, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, so, I yeah. see what you're saying. Like high high level superhuman durability for his hand <laughs> and then like minor buffs to like strength <laughs> and speed. Sure. And so this is like basically sort of upgrading him just to be like an all around sort of like battle. battle yeah. Guy. And it's like it's like low grade healing factor, some like, you know, like the hypnosis fist thing. Sure. Um, I think like, yeah, broad base kind of like upgrades to strength and speed. And then at the end, like when he punches the train full of explosives, that's like on like on the who you who would win subreddit, things like that. That's his big like here's the new like leveled up feet. He can, he's like fly through a giant explosion. Yeah. He's like strong enough to like stop that train, blow it up and survive the explosion in good enough shape that he can then participate in like a long protracted fight. Right. Sure. It is like, I mean, I I guess that is sort of what a Kung Fu book is going to be, but it is kind of funny that like they like, you to go into it being like we're going to power you up from like a five to an eight yeah well it is like i said it was planned originally to just be a mini series of which they were like we've got some ideas about a possible sequel but the main goal of this is to like basically do an object lesson so brubaker really loves iron fist um which should be clear just like kind of based on the fact that he was like, who could stand in for daredevil? I know my number one favorite Marvel character, iron fist. Right. 
but but his like whole sort of stated purpose of this was to be like Iron Fist doesn't need to be a punchline. Like I think he's cool and he can be even cooler. And so I want to do a mini series to basically like show off his bona fides, like tantalize other writers basically with like what's possible with this character and just like put him back onto people's radars so that people start using him again as a character and not as like a sight gag of like, Oh look, it's Iron Fist. (laughs) Right. So basically up to this point, so the Daredevil stuff that happens all before this series. Yes. So at least like up until I, I think, I think this starts shortly after maybe Devil Takes a Ride ends or maybe like midway through Devil Takes a Ride, which is when like shortly after he has like the confrontation with Danny in costume as Daredevil and then realizes that it's him. So I don't I think you probably didn't come across it, but there is like a short like four page story that is from like the Civil War Choosing Sides special in which it shows him like the the kind of thought is that like by being daredevil he in universe has sort of been like back out on these streets back in sort of like the center of attention and it's it's basically like a few pages of internal monologue of him basically being like daredevil means something to this community i think iron fist could mean something to like this city too soon like i'm going to be iron fist again and i'm going to sort of like be be back with a vengeance but not yet because for a little bit while longer i still have to like be daredevil but that was written like with with brew baker knowing like soon i'm going to start my like iron fist ongoing so the idea of it i think is sort of like yeah being being daredevil has given him a bit of a like renewed sense of purpose then he meets orson randall and gets like a powers level up and so now with both sort of like clarity of purpose and heightened powers he's sort of like ready to be a big player sure yeah so and then like what on a broader scale like does anything happen with him (laughs) like um he does he is like an avenger for quite a while under um uh, what you call it bendis's uh, pen in sort of like the latter era new avengers stuff after the whole like sort of civil war thing gets gets settled down but for example like in the uh, infamous electra's a scroll page you might recall seeing him being the like hell in the in the circle around her being like huh um, right because yeah he is a member of the new avengers so he's like a participant in like all the secret invasion stuff and basically everything that like follows from that he is an avenger up until bendis wraps his run and then after that he's a little more in the wind like fraction uses him for a short-lived defenders run in the like 20 2011 2012 kind of zone there um but and and like after this run that we're looking at ends he also continues to like headline immortal iron fist for another like 12 ish issues i want to say like another writer takes over and and sort of completes the run Uh, and that's all like good stuff as well but since then yeah they have kind of been at like a loss for what to do with him he gets like phoenix powers for a bit in avx um oh yeah, and then they they have like just been trying to like 
get him to have a successor for a while, basically. So like Kari Kyle Andrews is a creator who does like a lot of he's he, he often will like write and draw his own books. So he did a few like digital first comics that introduced like this young girl who was the new Iron Fist with Danny as sort of like the mentor. And he really seems to like that character and be excited about her. I don't think she has really appeared outside of his like stuff. Well, there is a new Iron Fist now. I don't yes, know if you know there about is. this. Yeah. So there was um, a new Swordmaster introduced, I think, I want to say in the pages of Shang-Chi, but I'm not 100% on that, um, who is Asian. And then now he's Iron Fist. And again, Danny is sort of in the like mentor, mentor. teacher role. Yeah, for him. So... Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not super up to date on that stuff, but I think in part because of the like, why is Iron Fist white dialogue? They have sort of been looking for someone else to kind of be Iron Fist more full time. Sure. Which I'm like, whatever about, because again, I uh, I don't really mind that he's white. I like the Danny Rand character. Um, I think, yeah, but like, I think it there seems are bigger like... problems that they could probably focus on. <laughs> in that regard but yeah yeah i mean it it does also seem like it's like they are like we don't want to get rid of danny rand but we kind of need to figure out yeah they are they are kind of trying to keep him in the picture yeah um at any rate this comic what can you say (laughs) it's good you like really love this right i do i do really love this um yeah, I t- it just like really plays with all of my favorite things. Um, yeah, I I just like that it leans into the sort of like kung fu moviness of it all. I really like the whole like tournament arc and the sort of like like the Game of Thronesification of Iron Fist, where it's all sure. <laughs> it's all like. Oh, like UT is up to something and Thunder is up to something and who knows, everyone's up to something. And Danny, you have to go like back to, um, you know, the earthly realm for like a secret mission. And we're all going to like kind of cover for you and like, oh, the Prince of Orphans is in on it, too. And like, yeah, I like all that sort of like high conspiracy stuff quite a bit. And there's just like a lot of good, um, good, good moments in this. Great yeah, run for I mean, moments. I, sure. I I feel like maybe I was just going in with higher expectations because I did have some memory of reading it. I didn't actually remember, I think, as much as I probably thought I did. But yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it just it revolves a little. I, I think the intrigue stuff is a little like not really what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more there for the idea of like, you know, like a tournament arc, I feel like, is such a classic. Like mm-hmm. you see it in Dragon Ball a lot. Like, yeah, that's that's sort of like what I'm looking for out of this. I and feel it does like like sort of subvert the tournament arc by having him get knocked out in the first round, and then you only really see a couple of other fights because he mostly is like time to take advantage of the fact that I've been knocked out of the first round to participate in the intrigue. <laughs> yes, which I feel like also does happen a lot in the tournament arc as well. Um, but yeah it does kind of like it takes away from some of that and then it's like the there's that one fight which is fun uh between him and fat cobra mm-hmm. and then the other two fights we see are like uh davos the steel phoenix like just like basically killing someone mm-hmm. and there's like not really too much of a fight brutalizing tiger's beautiful daughter sure 
And then the next one is the Prince of Orphans, like, who finally sort of, like, reveals his power. Mm -hmm. And his power is basically just, like, there is no fight. (laughs) (laughs) It is. So I'm I'm curious to hear what you think about this, because more so in sort of, like, the tertiary stuff, we see him do his thing where he turns into mist. Oh, I should reveal to you also, because I assume you don't know that he is like a golden age public domain character. (laughs) Reading about this. Because like when he revealed there I can always tell (laughs) when like someone or something is supposed to be something. And it's like, I'm John Amon. And it's like, oh, another white guy? This person must be someone. Um, now, I will say that I believe that his name is, and I am not joking, intended to be pronounced a man. As in a man, as yep. an amazing man, his superhero sure. name. And then also like Matt Fraction in his Defenders run at some point makes someone starts calling him John, comma, a man. Um, so, yeah, that that is, I assume, how how it's intended to be pronounced. But so, yeah, we see his power mostly not in the Immortal Iron Fist book of like turning into like this green mist that he's intangible to the person who's fighting him, but he can like come out of the mist to like deal blows, et cetera, et cetera. Except then there's also an implication in that fight against Davos where it's like the mist is like a hallucination that Davos is having. And in fact, like all anyone else has seen is basically like he collapses (laughs) on the ground and then like the Prince of Orphans goes and like kneels over him and is just like quietly muttering in his ear the whole time. (laughs) And they're all just like, what's going on? Which I feel like that's a way better, like that, that like when you get the pull out in immortal iron fist itself and see like, Oh, he's not a green cloud. He's literally just like hunched over him. And everyone is like, what is happening? (laughs) It's like strong. Yeah. It just, (laughs) that's my joke. Um, (laughs) it, it just makes him seem like more mysterious and kind of like terrifying. Whereas the, like he actually turns into like a green mist is like, that's fine. I guess. I mean, I think they're both, you know, they're both not bad. I'm just confused about like in that fight against Davos, does he ever actually turn into the green mist? And if right. so, like for how long? Cause it's, you, you literally so. go from like one panel. It's like Davos is like completely like ensorcelled in the green mist. And then the next panel, it's just like normal. And, and he's just again, like kneeling beside him and like whispering in his ear. Right. And also the other thing is that I'm, now sort of reading and realizing is that amazing man like it's this it's basically like the same idea or a very similar idea that they sort of developed iron fist out of originally that he's like an 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 american orphan who like goes to tibet and is trained by monks to like give him these like superpowers yes they they decided to like put him in basically in part because he was in the public domain so they could but also because amazing man is like cited by roy thomas who was one of the creators of iron fist as being like i wanted to do like an amazing man type character yeah yeah i mean he's cool (laughs) yep they're all cool that's the thing yeah he he takes kind of a, a bizarre like swing into he he's like the villain of fractions defenders run which is like an unusual direction for him. Yeah, that is strange. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this tournament arc. So I guess we should sort of lay out the general like structure <laughs> because, like, 
it is a weird structure because it's like most of the first arc is just like who's Orson Randall? What's the deal with my dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why didn't he become Iron Fist? And it's like we get this whole backstory with him and Davos. Um, and then we have this tournament arc, which morphs into there's a revolution at hand mm-hmm. in Kunlun. Mm-hmm. And you are like sort of like a pawn in this. And it is this just like a coincidence, basically, that this is happening at the same time as the, the big tournament that happens once every 100 years or whatever? Like that the revolution is uh, is happening? Yes. I think, well, that he has that conversation with uh, like the handmaiden who where where he basically says, like, I think that you have like pushed this into motion now because you know that like the fact that the tournament is happening is both like useful as kind of a distraction. And then once the pieces are in motion, you'll have like all seven immortal weapons basically like backing you up. Right. Because all you really have to do is like out the, the like conspiracy at the right time. Right. Um, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, let's do break it down because so we have first the last iron fist story which is really more so like set up for the tournament yeah that's the thing is like it is really just like like going back it's just like what was i reading this for and it's mostly just like to introduce a bunch of characters Mm -hmm. and like i guess fill in a bunch of backstory which i which makes i guess more sense as the purpose of a miniseries to sort of like reboot a character's continuity a little bit that makes more sense Mm -hmm. but then like yeah, I was just I was just sort of like, where is this going? And then the basic answer is like, not anywhere, really. It was more about the journey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. So Danny Rand, uh, tur- like basically like sabotages a deal with Chinese businessman, Mr. Gao. Great, great restaurant, by the way. <laughs> There's like a Chinese restaurant in Hamilton called Mr. Gao's, which is really good. But great. anyways sewers this deal with mr gao because he doesn't trust him goes to like investigate to find evidence i will say yeah big time yeah um goes to like investigate so he can find like proof that will placate his uh, lawyer slash like coo jaron hogarth (laughs) about the fact that he just sewered this deal accidentally sort of stumbles upon a bunch of hydra agents and realizes that mr gao is working for or with Hydra in some capacity. And then we gradually further learn that um, Steel Serpent is also kind of in league with them in the servants of Kunzi, one of the um, other seven capital cities of heaven. Previously, we had only known of uh, Kunlun. So he has been chosen to be the immortal weapon for uh, the crane mother as a kind of act of revenge against Kunlun. Um, but unbeknownst to him, Mr. Gao uh, is like not really interested in whatever it is that he's been offered by any of the like uh, by, by crane mother or by him, which I'm not 100% clear exactly like why they think that he's helping them. But they the, think because because he's Hydra also is something yes. we mentioned. We, we um, mentioned the Hydra stuff. Sure. Um, so I guess like the idea is just that he is like like he's in it for the killing Iron Fist part of it, right? 
Well, the, yeah, in, in reality, he's in it for the killing Iron Fist part of it because he is like the descendant of this like lightning demon that has been like battling. <laughs> you missed this part I'm gathering. I think I did miss this part. Yeah, so he is like the just the latest Gao in a long line of Gaos who are yeah the these Nepalese like, lightning lords. Yeah, these these Nepalese lightning lightning lords who sure. have been like killed or foiled by various iron fists over the years, primarily sure. Orson Randall. So his plot is to get revenge by um flying a maglev train into Kunlun <laughs> while it's overlapping with the other capital cities of heaven thus destroying all of them right. so that's his I, his thing i think his i think the like cover story is danny rand is messing with my hydra plan by not let building my trains and right. so i want to get revenge or whatever sure so <laughs> Uh, yeah, in in an effort to foil him, Danny uh, meets up with Orson Randall, the previous uh, Iron Fist, whose father discovered Kunlun and made like a gate that can be used to access it anytime, not just when it's overlapping with Earth, something that only happens uh, every 10 years. But when Davos shows up to basically back up Gao and Hydra, he kills Orson Randall, uh, who bequeaths the Book of the Iron Fist to Danny Rand and urges him to plunge his hands into his heart and absorb his chi, which is also how you become Iron Fist. You do that to Shulao the Undying. A <laughs> yeah, a dragon. So he does that and gets a big power up, but Gao makes good his escape, uh, kidnapping Jaren Hogarth. Danny wants to go after him, but before he can, his old sensei, the Thunderer, and Kunlun's leader, UT, both appear to inform him I that... I will say, he looks way different from when his time with the Six Forgotten Warriors. Yeah, definitely. I, the, <laughs> the hood is gone completely. Um, and I would have loved to see the wizard as well, but... Who knows? Maybe, maybe in another miniseries. I just would have loved to hear his trademark. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, anyways, so they they appear and inform him that it's time for him to come fight in their tournament arc. He is resistant, but they reveal that basically, like Gao is in cahoots with uh, the Crane Mother, and that he will have his opportunity to kind of like get to them by participating in the tournament. And so he's like all right, I'm down and heads off to Kunlun, a place where everything appears to be well, but not so. Right. There's a lot of, uh, political machinations happening. Mm -hmm. He, well, he and donkey get there and they go up to that stall. That's like, welcome to Kunlun, such a perfect town. But of course, (laughs) a huge reach on your part. I, just, up uh, the grass. I see uh, UT as something of a Lord Farquaad figure for sure. Shine your shoes, wipe your face. Face, yeah. Kunlun is, Kunlun is. <laughs> Kunlun is a perfect place. I'm glad we got that. Yes. So he is just like in over his head on multiple levels because he's trying to find Jaren Hogarth. He's also trying to master these new techniques that he's learning from the book of the iron fist. He's also trying to participate in this tournament and get to know his opponents who are all very good. They have their own like mini series. That's also extremely good called immortal weapons where um, they each get their own issue. 
uh, I think they're all origin stories. If you like, uh, <laughs> if you like the Kung Fu move names, the main thing I remember from that miniseries is that Fat Cobra describes like a love affair that he has, and a la like the Animatrix that there's like that training scene at the start where they're like fighting each other with katanas, but then start like cutting off each other's clothes. You don't remember this? Kind of, yeah. I think so, I only see the Animatrix like once, or maybe he, half of once. <laughs> Fat Cobra is like fighting this woman and it starts off with like being, you know, stock Kung Fu move names. And then they like gradually become more erotic until (laughs) you can surely imagine. Sounds really good. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's trying to do all of that and try and figure out this like political turmoil that is in the city, which is (sighs) so... (laughs) There's, just, there's multiple like he's like an unfit ruler there's multiple factors here number one women in kunlun are not allowed to learn kung fu but the thunder has been secretly training a bunch of women to know kung fu so that they can be a revolutionary army number two kunlun only has access to earth every 10 years and the other cities only have access every 50 years but unbeknownst to most people they all have these Randall gates built by Orson Randall's father that allow free travel to earth at any time, but which the rulers have been using like exclusively for their own benefits. Right. And so, yes, they want to overthrow UT because he is an unfit ruler and they want to like allow, I guess like freedom of travel between Kunlun and Earth or any of the capital cities and Earth, and they want women to be able to do Kung Fu. Which also the other admirable. Yeah, and the other leader of the um the woman army besides the Thunder is Orson Randall's unnamed daughter. Right. And That's what's the deal with her? Like after the fact, does she I don't think anything? she's ever seen again. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> because the, there's like this whole thing based on her not having a name. And so I assumed that there was going to be like some kind of. Yeah. Let thing. me let me do a little bit of researching here. But um, this is the thing is like it's a very admirable goal to be like, let's make this character relevant again. But sometimes I feel like if you do too good a job and then people don't know how to follow it up, it's like, well, I guess we'll just go back to. Like now people take Iron Fist seriously, but he mostly is a cameo or appears to like teach someone else Kung Fu or like what have you. Right. Okay. So I'm incorrect. She is eventually dubbed Sparrow. Great. She appears in Iron Fist, the living weapon, which I believe is uh, the Kari Kyle Andrews book that I was referencing earlier. Mm hmm. 10 appearances in that five appearances in contagion, a book that I have never heard of based on the Steven Soderbergh movie. I guess it was an event in 2019. I've never heard of this before. What do they know? Um, yeah. And she's been in four issues of the new iron fist featuring, um, the artist formerly known as Swordmaster. Um, love that for them. I wish them the best. Anyways, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I feel like all of this discussion is sort of disguising the fact that it's like this book is fine, like for me at it's least, it's better just than like fine. Okay, maybe it's better than fine, but it's just like it is just sort of like a thing unto itself, 
like there are some cool ideas like we haven't talked about david aha yet i guess he he's like he's ripping it i i feel like the the circles oh i like the circles in fact i wish there were more circles circles. (laughs) too but it's like where like where did that come from yeah i think so in my like when i think on this I picture like kind of like a deadliest warrior type thing where it's like at the point of contact, it should be like a little x-ray circle showing the like right. devastating internal damage that's being inflicted. Or combat. Yeah. And it does seem like it's sort of like when someone does like a critical hit, they get a circle. Right. <laughs> but, sure. um, but like the circles are not always being uh, implemented. I don't know. It's just sort of like a stylistic flourish that uh, I'm into. Yeah, I like it too. Um, but also, I feel like it's also just like I'm detecting your weak point is also like a thing. Oh yeah, like, there is this, there is that part like, where he, he like looks at someone. Yeah, he yeah. like sizes up Orson Randall and is like, I could hit him here, here, and here. Right. Yes, um, that certainly yeah. is is a thing. Like it's just sort of like a book unto itself. Like there's this weird like like we've talked about like sort of Orientalist bent to it, which is interesting and. Yeah, I think like, you know, talking about it as like a pulp thing, I think makes more sense. Um, more sense, Randall. And then beyond that, it's just like, yeah, this is just like a comic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just classic comic book stuff. There's 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 a plot and they have to fight people and a bunch of stuff happens. Yeah. And I don't really like stuff. Like none of it really makes me like lose my mind. I enjoyed reading it. And that's like pretty much like the extent of how I feel about it, I think. Fair, 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 I suppose. Um, I feel like the big thing with the art, other than David Aha doing doing his thing, is that there's a lot of guest artists, um, right. several of whom are like Golden Age and Silver Age artists doing the flashbacks with like the Orson Randall stuff and the war stuff, which smart, fun, clever. Um we love it. So like I know John Severin is one of them. I think he does one of the like kind of golden age era um, flashbacks. And he, yeah, he, he did like <laughs> a cracked magazine uh, staple artist. Okay. He did a lot of like Sergeant, Sergeant Fury back before uh, it was like any shield stuff. Like he did the howling commandos comics. He did lots of like, creepy comics uh what else does he have lots of appearances in here westerns oh a bunch of issues of the hulk the two gun kid two-fisted tales battle uh Gunsmoke. yeah so like all all kinds of like all the genres that went by like the wayside pretty much after world war ii he was or or really more so in the 50s but he was like all over those doing like westerns war comics um some superhero stuff but really yeah you know lots lots of other stuff and then likewise russ heath also does a bunch and he is similarly you know best known for gi combat our army at war all american men at war the brave and the bold um so like those similar sorts of like adventure comics which in a lot of ways are the inspiration for a lot of the orson randall stuff so right and then in the annual also you have howard chaykin oh yeah yeah not was like his I, finest work <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to talk about 
how crazy Iron Fist's face looks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 classic, like, shaken. He's just one of those guys who, like, as sort of, like, inking and coloring has advanced, it just, like, no longer say. suits his style, really. Yeah. I don't think he's at all helped by the coloring, is what I would say. No, he and and he is also, like, in the same vein as, like, for example, his contemporary Frank Miller, a guy whose signature style has become increasingly exaggerated and stylized as time has gone on. Right. So, like, if you if you hired the Howard Chaikin who was making American Flag to do the issue, it would look, um, you know, a bit more like a kind of conventional comic. But because he's a guy, again, whose style has gotten increasingly stylized as time has gone on, it is one where you open it and you're just sort of like, whoa, <laughs> what's, right. what's going on in this here comic? Right. Sure, absolutely. Apparently also a uh, a disciple of Gil Kane, a yeah, co-creator of Iron Fist. Right? Believe it. Um, at any rate, uh, Howard Chaikin... <laughs> Mm-hmm. cleaned up at the 1984 eagle awards if we want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> lay it on me he won the 1984 eagle award for favorite penciler he won the 1984 eagle award for favorite inker he won the 1984 eagle award for favorite writer he won the 1984 eagle award for favorite comic for american flag he won the 1984 Eagle Award for favorite new comic for American Flag. He won the <laughs> American 1980- Flag was a big deal if you <laughs> haven't, haven't he, put that together. He won the 1984 Eagle Award for favorite single or continued story for American Flag numbers one and two, Hard Times. Uh, he had an Eagle Award nomination in 1984 for favorite character for Ruben Flag. And also a nomination for favorite supporting character for Raul the Cat. (laughs) And an Eagle Award nomination for favorite comic cover twice for American Flags 2 and (laughs) 3. I mean, they're they're good covers for sure. Sure. You get to see the American flag himself in action. He was popping off at the time. I think we... I think also... We need to bring back awards for favorite character and favorite supporting character. Mm. Certainly. I'm I'm pro that. Um so the heroes for hire are in this book a lot. Right. That's another thing about this book. Yeah, but then it, like it's there are like things about the book, but it's like, yeah, like they're just kind of around. Luke Cage <laughs> says sweet dollar sign asterisk at sign ampersand christmas Sweet in christmas yep yeah um so that's the thing that happens mm-hmm. there's not a lot that happens <laughs> to them beyond we that. do we do get a lot of um like modern luke cage banter yeah it's not as pronounced like he's i don't think he's like being written with as much of like a voice as mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he maybe was in daredevil which i did appreciate like <laughs> you you don't really have to like lead into it with every single line of dialogue i guess yeah is my that's, main, that's true my main feeling about it yes so we get misty knight on the scene we get colleen wing on the scene misty knight cuts her hair at some point sure <laughs> who can They're deny all, 
they they're, they're doing their thing. They seem to mostly be there for the purpose of like a recurring joke about how Hydra guys say hail Hydra a lot. Yes, they do do that a lot. There's like a they, lot of times where they just get shown with a Hydra guy yelling hail Hydra and one of them expressing frustration that he said hail Hydra to them again. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that their purpose is mostly just to be like, well, like Danny Rand is in Kunlun. So we need a sort of like eye, eyes on the ground, mm-hmm. boots on the scene. Who's dealing uh, with Mr. Gao while, uh, while he's off and away. Yeah. And that's pretty much like the only real function they serve. We don't really get a lot of like character moments. There is apparently some relationship between Danny Rand and Misty Knight that I don't know anything about. Yeah, that's pre-existing. I hope those two crazy kids figure it out. Yeah, although it seems like she's got something going with Colleen Wing, so. Sure. <laughs> Who can Why say? Why don't they get gay married famously? Uh, famously, yeah. The specials. Did you read both of the specials or just the annual? I read the annual. Which is um, with Howard Chaikin. And we get. Yes, and one other artist, I think. Um, the other thing, just quickly, that I noticed reading the Wikipedia, the <laughs> cancer you referred to that Danny Rand cures uh-huh. is his own. Oh, of course. Who can forget? <laughs> he, like, he he went the way of, like, Spider-Man and Daredevil at one point in the 90s and got, like, a weirdly armored costume. Um, right. He does get a major costume redesign for this book. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. You can see the original costume in the first issue which has like the giant disco collar and it quickly gets like destroyed um, and replaced with. So his like big disco boots go away and he gets more sort of like a tabby boot. The collar is gone in favor of like a more sort of like form fitting, I don't know, kind of like linen almost it looks, (laughs) uh, body suit the tassels get uh, extended severely from his like mask tie and his waist sash. Um, so it's really just more like a sort of streamlining and modernizing um, that that bare bare chest goes away. <laughs> sure, but it does feel like he like has his shirt off a lot. It does. I mean, yeah. Once once he gets to Kunlun, he also like basically stops wearing the costume because it's like, well, right. here I am in Kunlun, where you know I don't really need a mask. <laughs> So I right. just like kind of go around in, you know, the same clothes that everybody else is wearing. Um, one thing that I thought was really funny is that in the like trade that I have of these issues, there's a bunch of like David Aha design sketches for the new costume. And there's one where he specifically says basically like Ed suggested at one point, like what if he was wearing like a game of death style jumpsuit? And so I like put this design together just to show him like how bad it would look. And he agreed. So he didn't use it. And he now wears like (laughs) that exact costume. It's like, I'm not, I'm not sure whether he like went and well, I mean, I guess he doesn't wear it now that there's a new iron fist, but sure. Like the like late 20 teens and like early 2020s iron fist thing was like, look, he's in like a game of death style jumpsuit, which if it was, if like, if it didn't use aha's design specifically, then like someone, I mean, not that it's like, like the game of death jumpsuit is not exactly like a (laughs) complicated outfit. It's, it would be very easy for two designers to end up with like a near identical design going for like, what if he, the game of death suit, but iron fist colors, 
But it's just hilarious to me that he was like, it looked so bad. Here it is. I did the mock-up to like convince Ed that it would look so bad. We agreed, both of us, that it was so bad. And then he <laughs> proceeded to like wear that costume exactly for like five years. Right. That's funny. And then in the TV show, he mostly wears like a jacket. It yeah, seems like. <laughs> there's like a, a an emblematic of the like failures of the Netflix show is like the screen grab from Defenders where it's like, here they are like together at last ready to go. And it's like a white blonde guy wearing like a jacket and a T-shirt, a black guy in a hoodie, a white woman in a leather jacket, and then like another white guy wearing a button up shirt with a scarf tied around his head. And it's like some of these characters at least actually have costumes. <laughs> like why, right. are, why are we not even like beginning to attempt to put daredevil in his costume in this defenders show? But then I guess it would look weird for him to be the only one in costume. But then it's like iron fist also has a costume. Let him, let him wear his costume. Right. Let's perhaps discuss issue 16 briefly which i did read not sure if you did issue 16 yeah no i did mm. not uh I put it in because the, that uh, the oh i see that because that's read. because that's the, the 15th 15 is like a iron fist one past yeah story and i then, did i did actually quickly look like i looked at the first couple of pages just to sort of see where it was going and i immediately opened on him like teaching kids karate and yes. <laughs> it was like okay so it's like it's basically like a whole issue sort of like denouement of him being like i'm settling kind of like back into my life again like i'm involved in this community outreach karate program like things are going good with Misty. I am now like paying for Luke's illegal Avengers to like operate. I'm like bankrolling them through Rand Corp slash like maybe I'm one of them. No. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I'm one of them or soon will be one of them. I'm an Avenger in some capacity, suffice to say. Um, like life's going good. And then he like settles down at home is reading the book of the Iron Fist and then like realizes that like every Iron Fist dies at age 33. Right. And then the like last <laughs> panel is like, surprise, happy birthday, Danny. And it's like Misty Knight holding a cake with a big 33 <laughs> on it. Um, and then is like, make a wish, Danny, make it count. And then like last page him like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like fade to black sure. uh which is good stuff in my personal opinion that is good does that i assume nothing comes of that he doesn't uh, die or that, he does no, he, die he doesn't but die but yeah he doesn't uh, he he gets out of it like some some way or another but it is that's sort of like the narrative thrust of the sort of like last arc that gets taken over by another writer is like it's it's the so Mr. Gao, of course, famously before his death, ominously says there's an eighth city, the capital city of hell, we will uh, no. subsequently learn. But so it's resolving the the eighth city question or or issue and then also dealing with this like cliffhanger of all Iron Fists die at age 33 and Danny has just turned 33. It's also because that issue came out 33 years after Iron Fist debuted. So that's mm. good stuff. That is like a pure a pure fractionism. So it's not strictly related to uh, 
the brew baker of it all. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a good way to go out in my book. Yeah, I it's a, it's definitely a fun idea. Um, I you know we've talked <laughs> multiple times now about the idea of the sort of creator handoff. leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving little challenges, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, for each other, uh, which is fun. But yeah, I mean, I I liked the idea of there is an eight city as a, a cliffhanger. Okay. I thought that was a fun idea, mm-hmm. and then bringing the immortal weapons to <laughs> New York City <laughs> is like a little whatever, but I'm sure it's fun. Mm-hmm. If Faco will be like, I love this thing you call pizza. Yeah. I mean, I mostly like seeing them all in, like, business wear. I like seeing Shaq Cobra Cobra wearing, like, wire-rimmed glasses (laughs) (laughs) and, like, a big suit. But, uh, but yeah, so they hand off to uh, Dwayne Swierczynski, who is more so at this point kind of known as a novelist um, Mm. who who comes with the big reco from, uh, from Ed. Now, the collaborative element of this, we also haven't really talked about at all because we originally were not planning to cover this book in this mini series because I tend to think of it slash it seems like most people tend to think of it as being like primarily a fraction book. And I think that becomes more true as time goes on. Like, I think you can feel fraction sort of coming more so into his own over the course of this book. And then of course, you know, the fact that the last two issues are just like 100% him does seem to indicate a sort of like transfer of the reins as the, um, in the same way that, uh, X-Men did that also, right? Uh, well, X-Men, X-Men less so because there was only supposed to be like a short, um, co-written portion. And then it was supposed to hand over completely. Whereas like, so the genesis of this was basically like Brubaker was like Iron Fist is my favorite character. I want to do an Iron Fist story. Marvel, can I please do an Iron Fist story? And they eventually were like, yes, you can do an Iron Fist thing. And he was like, great, but now I actually don't really have time (laughs) to do an Iron Fist thing. But if I can get a co-writer on, then like that should let me sort of like, you know, lighten the workload enough that I can, I can make that happen. And so they were like, okay, do that. So he had gone to Matt Fraction based on his Casanova stuff, which I believe you've read a very long time ago. I don't think so. Casanova? You sure? It's like a super spy thing. It's like one of Fraction's earlier sort of like independent things, which also has this sort of same kind of zany energy to it that I feel like this book occasionally gets at times but so it's the the way that they basically worked on it was brubaker had already kind of like written the the pitch or the sort of like overarching plot so then they would either get on the phone together or i hilariously read in an interview play halo 3 together <laughs> and get on the voice chat (laughs) to like break the story together (laughs) um this was also apparently a thing that like a lot of the marvel writers were doing at the time because it sounds like they also played with bendis uh like not infrequently and like possibly greg rucka as well it was like 
they really made it sound like the Halo 3 voice chat was like quite a uh, like creative forum <laughs> for yeah. yeah for the Marvel writers to be like all right we're all we're all jumping on the box at like seven o'clock and we're gonna spend three hours like bouncing ideas off of each other which is I really mean, funny I do kind of love that <laughs> I, I do as well yeah so they would like yeah bounce bounce the stories around until they like kind of had a, a very clear sort of like sense for what was supposed to happen in each issue brew baker would put together like a basically like page by page breakdown fraction would then write the actual script and then it would go back to brew baker for like tweaks and like final rewrites and then over to the art teams so that's like pretty highly collaborative i would say overall with like i think i definitely think that a lot of fractions voice is heard in the comic itself because he was doing like the first draft of the actual script but like it's it, it's not like brew baker's voice is not present i guess i will say and like the whole concept of like orson randall and even the like iron fists of uh you know yesteryear stuff all kind of like smacks of him and and yeah, I, I was just like interested. So I, I had like read that in an interview before I read the comics and I was like, there is a certain lack of things that I tend to think of as being kind of like Brubaker trademarky, especially like he loves the the like kind of hanging dialogue scene transition. You know what I mean? Where it's like either like someone is speaking and then we'll get like establishing shot of like the next scene and then caption box, like finishing the thing that they were saying or, right. or just the same thing where it's like two captions. Um, but, but like that, yeah, the establishing shot with like the trailing dialogue or narration, I think of as like a very brew bakery thing, which wasn't really in this at all, but there was a lot of heavy, like narrative box work, which again, I, think brew baker is kind of like the king of the narration box right that's like what yeah that's what i was gonna bring up like <laughs> the very beginning of the episode last time with the narration is like it does almost feel like brew baker wrote the narration boxes and matt fraction wrote the dialogue to mm-hmm. some extent. and that's why it does sometimes feel like it's like the narration boxes like have a different tone than yeah. the actual book itself. Yeah. And um, it's just like the way that like Danny himself is like quite sort of like flip in a way that yeah. like, not that I don't think Brubaker is incapable of per se, but he just like doesn't really write that kind of character. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect, Matt Fraction is kind of the king of, uh, so that happened humor <laughs> um, and we see that the, the one moment where i was like this is matt fraction is when they're like in the elevator together uh orson randall and danny there's like it's like they're in an elevator and then there's like two beats of silence and then it's like ding it's like oh like awkwardly standing in the elevator that's classic stuff and that felt very fraction to me mm-hmm Whereas like, yeah, I guess, I guess I don't really think of Brubaker as like a funny writer as I, as I sort of like contemplate it. Not humor, but like in the same way that any, pretty much any superhero comic. Yeah, but he, he prefers like, 
not yeah not even really like quips though like what we've seen from him so far i feel like he prefers to derive his humor from like the turks of the world where it's like he's he's I just mean in in like a sort of like Shakespearean way, like you have these kind of like fool characters whose like yes. whole thing is to like be the butt of jokes. Basically, he doesn't really have his like main characters do a lot of like quipping or joking or like like I feel like if Brew Baker had been doing more of the scripting, that would like a lot of that would have fallen onto like Jaron Hogarth. Like he would have been more of a sort of like comedic foil to to the kind of like events that are taking place, as opposed to Danny, like, you know, being the one to sometimes have like kind Eat of like fish out of water. Yeah, or like do like the man child thing, which I feel like is what it kind of boils down to um with Fraction's characters sometimes. Yeah, I, I just think like Brubaker, even even for like say Luke Cage, who is a character that I think sometimes people are like, oh, like you know he's charismatic, he's kind of like a big personality, he's he's got this sort of like history as like tough talking slash smooth talking slash like generally like he is a talker, he's an easy character to use to kind of like inject some comedy. I don't really ever see Brubaker like using Luke Cage as a primarily comedic character like no he's he is more so like sort of like the tough enforcer type at, under under a brubaker pen whereas i feel like fraction did often be like oh yeah like we'll we'll toss out the sweet christmas catchphrase for like a joke we'll we'll have him like you know he'll banter with misty knight a bit um when when we have like a couple of panels to make space for that yeah he loves to sort of like make the space i guess is yeah the main difference whereas like i'm trying to think of x-men like is there any character in brew baker's x-men that makes a joke <laughs> at any point sure i'm coming up dry <laughs> <laughs> i would i would agree do you have a favorite uh historical iron mortal fist? weapon oh or immortal weapon iron fist as well i was gonna write both of those down and i was just like this work <laughs> work uh i'm assuming that iron fist is not eligible for the immortal weapons the hamilton reference eligible um but like only like not in terms of like the whole iron fist comic book just like the the figure of iron fist yeah i feel like iron fist is sort of the most defined in terms of his like signature technique if that makes sense where it's like of course brother number one (sighs) chops him up yeah does he does know how to chop it up i just feel like i would like the other immortal weapons better if i had a sense of like is every fat cobra fat or is fat cobra just like (laughs) is is fat cobra a hereditary thing because the only ones that we see (laughs) the only ones that we see as being like confirmed hereditary are iron fist and bride of nine spiders and then we also see that like with with Davos, like it's not unprecedented that you might just like recruit a new immortal weapon whose like theme doesn't necessarily have anything to do with who your like last immortal weapon was. Right. But they but they do seem like they're a little bit like, really, you did this? Yeah. <laughs> Went out and bought yourself a new immortal weapon. Um yeah. I do like Dog Brother number one because I feel like his shtick is so strong in terms of the like 
like the pack of dogs and orphans like following around behind him. I feel like that's like a very good bit that unfortunately like the tournament arc isn't really like a place where you can fully take advantage of that but he's very easy to picture in that kind of like ronin style story that i think he evokes where it's like he comes like walking into town and like you know as he passes through the gate a dog is like and then he gets up and is like (laughs) like come goes starts padding after him and like as he makes his way further into town you know he gathers up through some like you know unexplainable instinct he just like draws this like herd behind him i like that that whole sort of thing the description does also identify him as a prankster assassin oh yeah that's also very good get to see him pull any pranks on set (laughs) yeah that's 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 tragic um but you know we love we love a prankster assassin type for sure uh so that's that's also appealing So I I think I'd go with him, but, you know, Prince of uh, Orphans and Fat Cobra both come out looking very good as well. I mean, let's not sleep on Bride of Night Spiders. Sure, she's like, (laughs) she's got her weird laugh. She has her trademark. (laughs) (laughs) She does have that, to be sure. Historical Iron Fists. I feel like see that many. No, we don't. I feel like the one, and again, I'm excluding Orson Randall because he is just like purpose built to be my favorite one. Sure. I do like the one um, that is featured in number 15, whose name I'm going to look up. Bay Bang Wen. Yeah. Bay Bang Wen. I like a lot. I like the era that they put him in um, around sort of like boxer rebellion slash second opium war. I like the um, so the the sort of like expansion of the powers route here is like if he can focus his chi and his fist, couldn't he theoretically focus it like anywhere? And so then his like whole thing is like, oh, he's got the dragon like brand on his head and he focuses it into his brain to become like the perfect tactical mind. <laughs> um which which I'm just like, that's fun. I like that a lot. It reminds me of like fourth edition D&D. Do you remember how like in fourth edition D&D, when you reached level 20, you got like a paragon path thing you could unlock? Sort of, yeah. Okay, so one of the ones for the monk path was called, I think it was called either like diamond mind or like perfect mind or something where it was basically just like you become so enlightened that you like ascend to godhood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he seems he seems like he has like reached level 20 of the monk like leveling path and has chosen that as his uh, his like paragon virtue or whatever it is. So that just also tickles me a lot. Absolutely. Transcendent perfection. Perhaps. Perhaps. Anyways. Yeah. I, you know, obviously we love a pirate queen of the bay. Sure, yeah. She, she was the one who like prompted them to first do a like focused um issue on her because she like appears in one of those like flashbacks and people were like Right. We love it. Yeah, because she is like she is sort of referenced as being like the inspiration for Orson Randall's chi guns. Yes. Because she has like chi arrows. Yeah. Um, and she's very cool in her issue. Sure. And immortal weapons. Do you have a Do you have a pick? Oh, I I think I'm also gonna go with dog brother. I mean, like 
Fat Cobra. We love Fat, him. Fat Cobra, he's, you know, he's got the charisma that few of the others have and that Dog Brother number one feels like he maybe should have. But uh, yeah. I mean, you know, if they're all sitting at different tables in the old mess hall, I'm going to sit down with Fat Cobra. But when it comes time, when Dog Brother number one gets up, I'm joining the pack, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They're all very good. We love them one and all. Absolutely. And uh, and yeah, but but so, yeah, I I like this book a lot. I got very amped on it reading about uh, or like just seeing his appearances in uh, Daredevil. And so I was glad to hit it. I do feel like end of the day, as I think I've said previously, I think that Brubaker's contributions to this book have like kind of been forgotten or underplayed as time has gone on. And really like this book does only exist because he was like, I want to do an iron fist book so bad, but yeah, like I, I read an interview with him where he basically said like the last issue where I have like a lot of input on it is number 10. Sure. And so like I do see why people tend to think of Fraction first because I think like I definitely the think. Conclusion. Yeah. Like I think the last Iron Fist story is more so driven by Brubaker and especially driven by the sort of like plot outline that he had developed before ever even like bringing Fraction on. But I think the tournament arc, which is what people mostly think of when they think of this run, does see him like gradually cede more of the sort of like storytelling duties to Fraction. And then by the time that we reach like the conclusion, Fraction is really more so the primary creative voice. And Brubaker is almost like I I don't want to say that he's like another editor, but he is less like hands on than I think he is earlier on. Sure. Yeah, and I think that is maybe, like, the stuff I like a little more. Like, the more it becomes about, like, Kunlun and, like, the mystic elements, I think that's what I like more. But, yeah, good good comic. You you stand. I stand, certainly. Stand hard. Um, I mean, I've got my Iron Fist, um, you know, 112 uh, figure, action figure there. He has his Iron Fist activated, but he's doing, like, the Jordan free throw line dunk. Good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 David Aha. I feel like we didn't talk about him enough, but he's he's giving work. Certainly, I will say David Maha. <sighs> you yeah, you sure have. I think that he gives us more in an ongoing in Hawkeye than he does here. I think this stuff is like good, but compared to like for example, Three Jacks or some of the one-off issues in daredevil. Like I just think when you give him more time to put into an issue, you do get a better product. And so keeping up with like a monthly schedule here, even though he wasn't drawing the full contents of every issue, you know, he does just kind of have to spend more time and or not. It's not even that he's spending more time page wise, but it's just like, he doesn't really have time to think about like what's a creative or fun or different way that I can, you know, present this, it is like kind of just like I have to get this page done and I don't really have space to get too crazy with it or I don't have time to think like that long about a different or visually interesting in a unique way that I could present this. I just have to like get it, get get the panels down on the page, you know? Right. Yeah, it's 
I, I know what you mean. He he definitely is someone who, like you've said, he works slowly and he probably benefits greatly from having that luxury to work slowly. But I, I think also like just he has so much creativity in terms of like even just like sort of what he chooses to depict, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like in a given scene and like the, the sort of like angles and stuff he uses i think are really cool Mm -hmm. um so yeah he's great yeah i would also say that like in terms of like his figures especially for the fights like he's a he's a he does a good fight scene um even more so i would say than lark who is like a good a good fight scene doer (laughs) um or like i don't know choreographer or, or what have you however you might choose to put that but yeah, I, I find that especially for something like this, where it's like all these Kung Fu masters are doing battle against each other. Aha uh-huh, is just better at capturing a certain amount, amount of like fluidity or gracefulness um, or, or just like bodies in motion, I guess, in a way that Lark's uh, like it's it's interesting because. Lark, I read an interview where he compared himself to Alex Maleev, who he was like succeeding on Daredevil. And he was basically like, if I have a criticism about Alex's work, it's that I find him like his figures a bit stiff, especially in the fight scenes. And like then I went and kind of like compared and I was like, oh, yeah, his his fight scenes are a bit more like kind of energetic and kinetic. But then I feel like comparing David Aha in this book to Michael Lark, I'm like, it's sort of like the same degree of like. I wouldn't right. I wouldn't have ever said like, oh, Michael Lark has like kind of stiff figures or like not not as like kinetic fight scenes. But then I look at David Aha where it's like so fluid and so kinetic that I'm like, I don't, it is it is just like another tear up. Yeah, absolutely. Awards. I believe we've fraction. already covered the main one vis-a-vis Ed Brubaker, Ed Brubaker yes. which is that he won Best Writer at the 2008 uh, Eisner's for all the books he was working on at that time, including Iron Fist. Is there one for Matt Fraction as well? Yes. Uh, back to the Eagle Awards, our oh. new favorites. Uh, he wins an Eagle Award for uh, Best Newcomer Writer or Favorite Newcomer Writer. And then also in 2008, they get nominated for uh, best Best New Series, I guess. Sure. Um, so there's that as well. Just reminding myself of what the Eagle Awards are. UK fan votes. Cheers. Interesting. I really <laughs> loved the American flag. Variously described as the country's comics equivalent of the Oscars or the BAFTAs. I'm going to say it's closer to the BAFTAs. <laughs> Those are the BOFAs. <laughs> okay um sales wise i will say a grower not a shower uh we see number one debut with thirty-eight thousand five hundred seventy-seven by number 10 which i think is actually is that the no we're in the we're in the depths of the tournament at that point Number 10, it's grown up to 41,353. Interestingly, by number 14, it has shrunk down to 30,875, which stayed pretty steady until um, or through 15 and 16 as well. So that is interesting to me. Like I do, I wonder if interest 
sort of fell off a little bit after we saw that it was like kind of clearly pivoting away from the tournament and more towards the palace intrigue. Right. Yeah. Just, just, yeah. Interesting, interesting story told there by uh, the numbers, but this is very much um, still a beloved run that like you won't, I don't know. I, you, you won't ever hear people be like, it's really good. It kind of lags off at the end of like the tournament arc or anything like that. Like I do think that it lands the, the plane nicely on that whole plot line, so to speak. But it does seem that at the time people maybe lost a little bit of patience for it or possibly the indication that Brew Baker was not going to be writing anymore might've hurt sales as well. But, uh, but yeah, interesting, interesting numbers to be sure. <laughs> I know you prefer numbers like 420 and 69, but... uh... My favorite number is... I was kind of trying to segue to the end of the episode, but there isn't really a number. 80,085? My... Sure, absolutely. (laughs) My favorite number is probably like two, which is the number of minutes we have left in this episode. And the number of stars we want you to rate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about your favorite episode. Say they did a weirdly low energy (laughs) Iron Fist episode they they might want to check out. Got the Runs Pod on Twitter. Got the Runs Pod at gmail.com. You can follow me at C House and Gin on Twitter. Listen to High Floor Low Ceiling. My mom is a big fan, so. Check it out. I guess high floor, low ceiling. Mom. That's the one she listens to. That is the one she listens to. She's like, you guys are so silly. Not bevy. It of is interesting. Huh? No, she's not a bev head. Huh. Uh, l- right. Speaking of bevy of bevies, thank you so much for bringing it up, David. Uh, listen to bevy of bevies as well. You guys done barks? Um, we just did Dr. Pepper bottle. Mm. Can I interest you in that? <laughs> Do you, not to not to get too deep into the bevy talk on. Sure. This a comics podcast in which gimmick infringement we cannot cannot. But do you do you guys have a stance on can versus bottle preferred not preferred? I think we we talked about this a little bit uh, on our most recent episode. Thank you for bringing it up, David. Because we did because I've noticed that you do indicate what container you're drinking out of. Yes, that's an important element. Um, the it was our first bottle drink, the Dr. Pepper bottle. Mm-hmm. And we do have a little bit of discussion. I think generally we land at the place that, you know, the can is great if you can get it. Um, there are some, I think, clear temperature sort of retention to the can. Yeah. But, but then also the other thing I mentioned on the episode is that like it can with the carbonation of the can, you can sort of sometimes get like a real blast which can be good or bad, I guess, depending on what you want. Sure. I'm a can man myself, definitely. <laughs> sure. You're always saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is going to have to do it for us today. Until next time, thank you all for listening. And to, to be, be continued. Slow yeah. one today. Yep. Yeah.